Welcome to episode 223 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast Feast Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's filets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 223 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing fabulous. How about you? I'm good. Happy 4th of July. Yep. Happy 4th of July to you, although the listeners will have celebrated that way in the past. (laughs) We're recording on the 4th of July. This is true. I feel like we record on a lot of holidays. Well, you know, we tend to record on Sunday afternoon. And so, you know, that just, yeah. Yep. Holidays happen on Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) We're always like, it's a holiday. Do you mind? We're like, no. I don't mind. (laughs) We record in the middle of the afternoon. I'm not often doing anything in the middle of the afternoon. Yes. So true. 
I have some things to share. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear. First one is I just finished reading. His name is Dr. Jonathan Lawrence, and I heard him on Ben Greenfield, but he has an entire book about melatonin, like an entire book about melatonin. Not so much. Well, yes, it's role in sleep, but basically it's role in a ton of processes in our body. But he pointed out something that had never occurred to me when it comes to eating windows in the evening or the morning. You know how we have this whole debate about, is it better to eat in the morning or evening? Yes. Did you know the pancreas has receptors for melatonin and melatonin tends to be inversely correlated to insulin. So basically at night, when in theory our melatonin should be higher, our insulin is lower, which could be a reason that late night eating is less than ideal because there's not as much insulin to deal with the glucose load. Blood glucose levels might stay elevated more at night, which is like, I mean, I'd read that a lot, but I was not aware that the pancreas had melatonin receptors. So, although I will say, once you're metabolically healthy, you know, like just for example, from people that we've heard about who've had their insulin tested, the wide range of fasting insulin levels, for example, it's going to be so different from person to person. Maybe that's why it varies where, you know, why an evening eating window might be more of a problem for someone who's super insulin resistant, but not as much of a problem for someone who's healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still eat really late at night, and I'm not changing that. I mean, I I can't sleep when I eat in the morning and don't eat at night. So I I can't wrap my head around why that would be better. I feel like it just goes back to (laughs) if all things are controlled, it's probably better to eat early, but it doesn't practically manifest for a lot of people. I still don't think that we can make that generalization just based on the way that people have, you know, tried different things and way they feel the best. Most people have not found they felt the best with the morning eating window. Some people do, but I don't think we can make any sweeping generalizations. I almost wish we didn't even have all that research. And instead, people, the only thing that mattered was the study of one and how you feel. Yeah. I'm not trying to make an argument either way because I think people should do what what they want to do. But I was just fascinated because I was like, you know, is it just the studies not taking into account the fact that most people who do an intermittent fasting late night eating window haven't eaten during the day, so they might be more insulin sensitive. But I had never come across this third factor, which seems to be completely independent of insulin sensitivity and that Regardless of your insulin sensitivity baseline, melatonin is going to compete with insulin at night. I mean, it could be different if you had high melatonin during the day. So I just found it interesting information. It is interesting. My only fear is that then people try to force themselves into trying to, you know, do this idea, what they have now perceived as now ideal. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, well, this is better. So I'm going to do it. And then it doesn't work out. And then they quit completely because they're like, I just couldn't do that. I don't know. But don't let striving for some kind of a theoretical perfection make you do things that don't feel the best for your body. There are a lot of people who do, though. They're like, well, I read it. I heard that blah, blah, blah is better. So I tried to force myself to do it. And then, you know, it didn't feel natural. Do you think a lot of people do that where they try early because they think it's better and then they stop? I think you'd be surprised at how many people do. They stop intermittent fasting? 
Well, I mean, I think a lot of people stop when things are hard. There are people who try to do what they think is the best thing to do. And then they're like, well, I can't do it. If I can't do it the right way, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. I think (laughs) this is actually another example of, I don't know, I feel very comfortable in being open to lots of ideas. Like I, I try really hard to not be wedded to any one idea, even if it works for me. And I thought about that a lot with the diet example. And I think the reason it works with the diet example, like, you know, vegan versus carnivore and stuff like that is that like low carb works really well for me. I think carnivore in theory works really well for me. I so desperately want to be vegan in theory that <laughs> that it keeps me like very open to everything. And I think it's the same situation with this, like late night eating works well for me, like so well. That said, I feel like the ideal approach is not what I'm doing. And so I don't have to ever worry about confirmation bias because I literally think the other... <laughs> I literally think the other thing is, might be better. I was just thinking about it. Gary Topps was talking about it in an interview with Peter Atia. I just think we try so hard to define better and forget that there's no universal better. Like we're assuming there is. And, you know, <laughs> I think there's not. Yeah. I think there's the better for the individual. You know, any individual probably has something that will at that point in time work better for them. Right. Which is why I want people to not look for, you know, theories necessarily work on yourself as a study of one, like I was saying. So anyway, it is also very interesting theoretically to to consider. I don't think we should be scared of the science, though. I hope I'm not sounding scared of the science. I just don't think there's science that confirms here is what is better. I haven't seen it. (laughs) I haven't seen that science yet. Anything that made me convinced that, oh, gosh, they're right. That is universally better. Well, I haven't seen any science showing that late night eating is better. And I've seen a lot. I've never said late night eating is better either. See, I've never defined better. Like for me, actually, late night eating is not what I do. That's not better for me. I tend to be more late afternoon, early evening, because I probably am done eating before you're starting, truthfully. Like I'm usually done by 7 p.m. Are you typically done before it gets dark? I usually am. What you're doing would probably fit very well into this paradigm of melatonin and pancreas receptors. Unless it's the winter. Now, we'll, I will rephrase that. In, when the, in the summer, I'm usually done eating before it gets dark. In, in the winter, I am not. I'm usually done by 7 or 8. So you can tell by the seasons, some seasons that's dark and some seasons it isn't. Yeah. I feel like it's light out so late. <laughs> Well, it is in the summer. (laughs) Other quick update. I'm still working on developing a serapeptase supplement. How's that going? It's going well. I'm really, really torn about the exact formulation to use, which speaks to the ongoing debate about all the serapeptases out there currently on the market. My biggest question is, should the enteric coating be on the capsule or on the individual serapeptase like itself? These are the things. <laughs> the debate goes on. Yeah. So listeners can stay tuned because when I f- do move forward with it, I think we're probably going to do a like a pre-order special where we're going to make it like the lowest price it will ever be. So it's just special for the pre-orders, just for my audience. So I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to like actually move forward with all of that. Yeah. And again, I will not be producing a supplement. <laughs> 
even a magnesium supplement because I, <laughs> even though I take that daily. Depending on how the serapeptase does, I could eventually, like the supplements that I take personally anyways, I could make my own version of them. You know, so like I take a vitamin D so I could make a vitamin D. Right. Well, that makes sense because you'd be, you know, more certain about the origin. I get it. So anything else new with you? Nope. I'm back home from the beach and it's very, very quiet in Augusta compared to being at the ocean. <laughs> Two weeks by the ocean, like literally by the ocean all the time. I come home, I'm like, why is it so quiet? <laughs> it's really quiet in my apartment. Yeah, it's quiet at my house. I like it. I like quiet. Yeah, me too. Although I do, do love the sound of the ocean. That's a noise I can get behind, so. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time, actually. What, the sound of the ocean? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you went to the beach? Probably almost a decade. Oh my gosh. Get to the ocean. I know. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning 
and testing up until you have your first meal of the day. And you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher. And it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device. And I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it. So be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right, now back to our show. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. All right. So we've got a question from Emma and the subject is the longer, the better question mark. And without even reading it, I'm going to say the answer is no. <laughs> There's that word better again. Whatever this is going to be about, there's never going to be a case where the longer is always going to be the better. Sometimes the longer is too long of anything. So here we go. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I started intermittent fasting three months ago and recently found out about your podcast. I really enjoy listening to it and found this is a great support resource. Thank you both so much. I am 5'6 and my starting weight was 150 pounds. I had been losing 15 pounds. I hope to lose another 10 pounds. All right. So let let me do some math there. She started at 150. She's lost 15 pounds. So that means she's right around 135. She wants to lose another 10, putting her at 125 as her goal. Is that how you're interpreting that, Melanie? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. She said, I first adopted 16.8 and then gradually went to 24 and finally one meal a day, eventually because I did not feel hungry. However, two weeks ago, I started using an IF app to track my fasting time and I became very competitive. I developed the mindset that the longer the better and only 28 hour long fasting can trigger autophagy. The app indicated this. Shout out for I would like to punch that in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like apps that make it so cut and dried like that, that make people think that's just an example of that. It's not even a true statement. No, it's not true. That makes me so, so frustrated that now someone's got an idea that, oh, I can only get this if I do that. And now it's like messing up her happy fasting. All right. So she said, I can fast for 48 hours and only have a one hour eating window. I might have started to develop, and of course, you know, I'm not a fan of that. So (laughs) I keep putting in my own words there. Sorry. Instead of just reading the question, let me keep going. I might have started to develop an unhealthy relationship with IF and want to change back to one meal a day, but I am very afraid that I will gain the weight back. Scale moves like crazy with long fasting. Have you experienced or seen someone with a similar mindset? Is it a good strategy to go longer to boost more weight loss and gradually move back to a more sustainable schedule? Thank you so much for your time. Ooh, so many thoughts. (laughs) Actually, this reminded me of something that has happened since our last recording, Jen. 
I interviewed Dr. Longo. So that ties a lot into this because I mentioned him a lot before, Dr. Walter Longo. He's the one at USC who studies fasting a lot and he has the fasting mimicking diet, which is a five-day fast that is supposed to create the effects of an extended fast, kind of like Emma is talking about, except you do eat a little bit during it. So to start, so many things here. First of all, we talked about this before. So autophagy, and for listeners who are not familiar with autophagy, it is a process in our bodies where the body goes down and breaks down old protein buildups and recycles them to make things anew. And it's kind of like cleaning house It's a really, really great cellular process, happens in the entirety of our body, and mind-blown fact, it actually is happening all the time. Yes, all the time. There's never, well, I don't like to say absolutes, but according to the science, the research that I've read, some form of autophagy is happening somewhere in your body all the time. Granted, there are things that ramp it up considerably, so that would be exercise, coffee, fasting but it's still always happening. Yep. And also, decreased autophagy is so linked to diseases of aging. As our bodies start to slow down autophagy or or the things that we do, like eating all the time or overeating, that makes our bodies downregulate autophagy and leads to, like I said, increased aging. So we want to have increased autophagy. That's the key. So interviewing Dr. Longo with his extended fasts, it is true one of the key benefits of extended fasting is you do really, really ramp up autophagy. So doing longer fasts, yes, you are going to really, really ramp up autophagy. That said, for longer fasts, and this is just my personal opinion, I would not go to them for weight loss. I would go to them more for, like she said, wanting autophagy, but not not as like a daily thing, like I just want more autophagy. I would do it as a concentrated thing with a goal in mind. But as far as the actual weight loss, so I know she's seeing a lot of results with her longer fasting, and that's probably very, (laughs) I mean, it's probably very exciting, and it makes sense because she's asking about, like, have people had this similar mindset? It's a dangerous slope, though, because seeing those really intense results from a longer fast on the weight loss side of things can make you, you know, perceive, not, not that you're addicted, but think that that's the only way or make you crave those really quick results and it's not sustainable, which is a word that she used. And I actually personally don't think that it's the best way to go about weight loss because the amazing thing about one meal a day or daily intermittent fasting is that you get the weight loss benefits, but you also get daily the signaling to your body with your eating window that the body is not in a state of intense fasting or famine. So you don't get the potential downsides of, you know, the metabolism dropping or what's the word? The body compensating for the long fast. Like panicking. Yeah. Yeah. You're mitigating all of that. So it's very sustainable and it is supporting weight loss without the potential negative effects of that might come with weight loss from longer fasts. I know she's worried about gaining weight by switching back. So, you know, going back to one meal a day, I wouldn't be worried about that because one meal a day as a start tends to, well, depending on who you are, but especially if you have weight to lose and especially depending on what you're eating, it tends to promote weight loss or weight maintenance. Weight gain is less likely 
for most people, I think, compared to those two options. True, the weight might slow down because you've been doing really long fasts and now you're not doing really long fasts, or you may perceive that you're gaining weight just because of, you know, food volume and water retention and things like that. But it's very, very sustainable and it can still lead to weight loss. And also don't underestimate the power of food choices. If you're making concentrated food choices that in and of themselves, macronutrient-wise, are just unlikely to create weight gain. On top of that, coupled with one meal a day, you can put your body in a situation where it would be very unlikely to gain weight. So, I mean, those macronutrients would be high-carb, low-fat, or low-carb, high-fat, but with the low being actually low, not like sort of low, so like 10%. I have more thoughts, but Jen, would you like to jump in? Yeah, and I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out where to start with with my answer. But first of all, Emma, I would stop using the app because you know if, if you're starting to feel like you've got to do more, 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 that starts to get into what to me feels like a red flag for disordered eating. And for example, in Fast Feast Repeat, I talked about fasting red flags where you need to start becoming concerned. And one is when you start feeling, like you said, very competitive and that you need to fast longer for whatever reason. And it seemed like that you got triggered with the app, making you think that you only were successful when you reached what the app told you was successful. And again, these apps that say, now you have ketosis, now you have autophagy, they're just like a... a, estimate based on big, broad ideas. And, you know, the whole idea that autophagy, like Melanie already discussed this, autophagy doesn't start at a certain time. It does get upregulated over time as you're fasting, but we don't need to be at like this, you know, mock level turbo autophagy all the time. You know, we don't want to assume that more, more, more is going to be better, better, better. You know, Cleaning our house, for example. We don't want to never clean our house. Our house will get really messy. But you don't want to only clean your house all the time. You know, that's what people do when they have OCD. That's not good either. So there's like a happy medium where you're doing the right amount of house cleaning that your house needs. The same with your body. And that's where the, the daily eating window approach, as Melanie already said, is so great because we have time every day where you do one thing, you know, the autophagy is upregulated because we're fasting. And then we have time during the day where we're doing the opposite end of the spectrum. We're eating, we're nourishing our bodies. You know, like with sleep, we have an amount of sleep that's good for us. Sleeping a lot less than that is not good. Sleeping a lot more than that is also not good. You know, you're like, well, sleep is good. I'm going to sleep for 20 hours a day. That is not good for you. So, you got to find the balance of what feels right. And already, this is not feeling right to you because you're turning it into, gosh, I got to meet this, what this app tells me. So I would delete that app from your phone right now. Also, I want to talk about something you said. You're fasting for 48 hours and then eating one meal or having a one-hour eating window. And then I guess you're getting into another fast. That, to me, is really worrisome because, you know, for some reason, we know or we, we've gotten the idea that fasting cannot 
lead to lowered metabolism, and it absolutely can. I talk about this in Fast Feast Repeat. You know, do we know the amount of fasting that will make your metabolism suffer? No, we don't have research on that. We do know from that one study I talk about all the time where they tracked people for a 72-hour fast, we know that metabolic rate went up over time. And then it started to go back down again, so that by the time they got to hour 72, the trajectory was downward. And this was with one 72-hour fast. You can't assume that fast after fast after fast is going to do that exact same thing. Like if you did a 72-hour fast, then had a one-hour eating window, then another 72-hour fast, for example, you wouldn't expect it to have that same exact curve that it had in the first one, eventually your body is going to think, gosh, there's really not anything coming in. I got to slow down my metabolism. So fasting for 48 hours and having a one-hour eating window, if you keep doing that, your body is going to slow your metabolic rate. It's going to try to conserve energy because it wants to save you. So it doesn't know that you're like trying to beat this app or whatever, trying to get to increased autophagy because your app told you that was a good thing, which is why I really don't like those apps, like I said, because they're giving people a false picture of of what to even shoot for. You need to, to really think about nourishing your body and that that is equally as important. If, you know, that's so important, putting in the right nutrients for your body. I would also like you to really think about your weight loss goals, because at 5'6", if you started at 150 and you've lost 15 pounds, it sounds like you are right in the middle of your healthy weight range right this minute. So trying to lose an excessive amount of weight is not what I would recommend. You know, I would let your body slowly and surely do some body recomposition. You may find you don't ever lose another pound. You might even go up five pounds, especially if you've been really over-restricting with a lot of fasting. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go back to one meal a day. Also, I don't want you to define one meal a day as like one hour because it sounds almost like you might be doing that because you said you went from 24 to one meal a day. And, you know, I consider 24 to be a great one meal a day paradigm because I don't really know anybody who's getting two full meals in a four-hour eating window. Our bodies really aren't going to let us do that without a lot of discomfort. So I would think about 24 as, or even if you felt great at 16, 8, start, try to find, you know, maybe it's a six hour eating window. Maybe it's a five hour eating window. Maybe it varies from day to day, but focus on instead of like what the scale is doing and what your app is telling you and how fast your weight's going down. I would focus on honesty pants, photos, your goal body. Because you, you sound, like I said, like you're at a healthy weight for your body right now, and, and you want to get into a healthy pattern that feels good to you. And, and I guarantee if you've been doing longer and longer fasts and fasting for 48 hours, then having a one-hour eating window, and then doing another one like that, you're going to see some weight regain. And, and your metabolism probably is a little slowed. But that doesn't mean you've like permanently ruined it. You know, long-term... You know, we, we can heal our metabolisms by nourishing our bodies well and, and helping our bodies see that we're not in a restrictive paradigm anymore. So I'm glad you reached out now because you don't want this to go on long term. Do you have anything to add to that, Melanie? Yeah, I thought that was great. I liked your analogy about the OCD cleaning. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. Just the last thought, just to echo something I already said, which is I think a lot of people just look at the fasting as the avenue to weight loss. And so when you're just looking at the fasting, the only option that you might perceive for increased weight loss would be more fasting. But 
the food portion of it is so, so huge, so, so huge. And you can make huge gains if you look at the fasting and the food. And that doesn't require any more fasting than you're already doing if you're doing a one meal a day. So I would look more at that than fasting and fasting and fasting. Yeah. And there's going to be a point where you've fasted so much that your body is going to rebel. Some people don't acknowledge that, but I think it's true. Our bodies want us to stay alive. Yep. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. Right. So this question is from Allison. The subject is, how often should I change up my eating window? And Allison says, hi, wonderful humans. I'm Allison and I'm a month into my IF lifestyle and I'm hooked. I started at 177 pounds at 5'4". I'm two years postpartum with a goal of 135. I'm already down to 163 and feeling great. I've been playing with my windows and this week I'm trying a different window each day. 16, 8, 19, 5, 24, 21, 3, 22, 2, 23, 1, and then back to 16.8. Am I changing things up too much? Should I be doing this differently? Thanks so much, Allie. I don't think we've ever received this question before. Not one exactly like this, no. It sounds to me, Allie, like you are, your eating window is going 8, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then it sounds like you'll be going 8, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. You're right. Yeah. I would absolutely not do it that way <laughs> because it's too regimented. You know, my big push and my my goal is to communicate with everyone that you can learn to listen to your body. And, you know, what if the day that you have 23-1 on the books, you're hungrier because you just had a two-hour window the day before and a three-hour window the day before and a four-hour window the day before, and now you're really hungry and you're going to try to force yourself to do 23-1 when really you need a seven-hour eating window because you've restricted for the past three days. So I would be more a fan if you want to switch things up, 16-8 one day, 23-1 the next, 16-8 the next day. I mean, because that's, you know, a mild up-down day kind of approach. But to me, every day getting more restrictive I would feel miserable by that 23-1 day and and be tempted to like binge because my body would be fighting back. So I would not try to artificially constrict your eating window like that. Instead, what feels good? Are you full after three hours? Stop. Maybe tomorrow, four hours has gone by and you're still hungry. Eat a little bit more. Respond to how your body feels. So can you change things up too much? Only if your windows get way too long over time. You know, that that could be, you know, that, that slippery slope of window creep, that could happen. Or, you know, if you get too restrictive, that would not be good. But as far as changing things up from day to day, as long as you're within a, you know, the, the period of time where you're getting enough fasting, not too much fasting, enough of an eating window, not too much of an eating window, then I don't think it's possible to change things up too much within that paradigm. What do you think? I really like what you said. I can think of two situations where this might work. One would be if it just so happens that Allie tries this for a week and and really likes it, then, I mean, then keep doing it. But if you experience any of the things that Jen was mentioning about feeling restricted by it, or it doesn't feel intuitive, or it's not creating the results and the the ease that you want, then I would not do it. But I don't see anything wrong with trial running it out of curiosity and seeing how it does. And I, I feel like 
for a lot of people, it probably, you know, would feel too restrictive. But some people, I mean, there might be the odd soul that it works really well. Like they like this pattern that they came up with. I would like switch it around more like maybe if you want to have those exact numbers, but sprinkle them. 16-8 followed by 23-1 followed by 24 followed by, I mean, instead of having them sequential like that where your eating window shrinks, 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 shrinks. Yeah, well, that's actually the second thing I was thinking of that this could also be a scenario where somebody's trying to get to a smaller eating window and they just slowly are shortening it every single day, but then they wouldn't be starting all over again. You know, if the, if the end goal was to get to a smaller eating window, it might manifest as something like this, but I don't think it would be repetitive or cyclical. You'd probably stay at the shorter eating window. And I, again, I'm, you know, I've said it before, I'm not a fan of too short of an eating window over time, over and over again, because, you know, then your body will adapt. If you do 23-1 every single day, it's more likely that your body's going to adapt to what you're doing than if you do switch it up from time to time. So, you know, again, just as we said with the previous question from Emma, longer is not always better. And and I, I do think changing things up and switching things around is good. But what makes me chuckle a little bit, Melanie, is that this sounds like something I would have done, a plan I would have made years ago when I was still very much in that that regimented mentality of like, I need a plan and I'm going to follow it. And I would try to make a plan. Like I can remember one year sitting and it was you know, like, okay, let me figure out what my maintenance plan is going to be. And I'm like, I'm going to do this many hours on Monday and Tuesday. I mean, and I was like writing it all down. And it's so much more peaceful when you really get to the point where you are listening to your body and you're able to be in tune with it. Was I in tune with my body from day one? No. And so I know it might sound foreign to even imagine that one day you're not going to need to really think about it that much, but you really won't. Like, do you know exactly how long your eating window was yesterday, Melanie? No. Me neither. Or the day before? Mm -mm. Me neither. I just don't want to give the impression that that means that you should jump straight into, quote, intuitive fasting. No. And I even talk about that in Fast Feast Repeat. The whole 28-day fast start is, you know, it's, it's more regimented. And it's to train your body to become fat adapted. You know, you're not going to be ready on day one. But the goal is to become intuitive with it. But, but again, this sounds like something I would have been like all over at the beginning. Even the first couple years, I was still, I wasn't comfortable with the idea that I could trust my body. Yeah. And I think especially in the beginning, you know, when you're not fat adapted and everything, and we just talked about this, but just to make it even more clear, like having a plan is a really great thing. (laughs) It can be a really great thing because you're probably not going to be intuitive at the beginning. Yep. But I would be cautious with an overly restrictive plan. So like if you say, my plan is I'm going to do 23-1 every single day for a month, I would be cautious about that. You know, give yourself a plan within something like a 19-5 or a 24 kind of a thing and, you know, be flexible within, you know, either side of that, perhaps. Just my two cents. Yeah. Thinking back to when I first started, so I was rigid on one side and flexible on the other. And we've talked about this a lot before, but basically my my rigidity, my plan was fasting a minimum amount of hours, but then I was flexible on the eating window. So I didn't put an end cap to the eating. And see, I was the opposite. I didn't count my fast at all. My goal was to keep my eating window at five hours or less. So it's all about what feels right to you. Mm-hmm. 
And I've just heard people be like, wow, I never thought of doing it that way. You know, whatever the other way is. (laughs) Whatever you're doing now, think about doing it the other way and see if you like that better. There are people who like both ways and there is no better way. It's whatever feels good. And it might change for you from time to time. Super curious now. I think after we finish recording, I'm going to post a poll in my Facebook group and ask, do people count the fasting hours or the eating hours? I'm really curious what the breakdown is, if it's like half and half or... Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, if we go back in time, early days of intermittent fasting, really people, other than Brad Pilon, who had the eat, stop, eat, where you would go 24 hours, like his goal was to go to 24 hours a couple days a week. Other than that, everything was you know talked about with eating windows. You know, we had fast five, which is where the five hour window came from, or you know, sixteen eight, where people were focused on that eight hour eating window. It, it seems like the fasting apps that had the the milestones in them really got people to focus on the fast. Yeah, that's just what I always naturally gravitated towards. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel claustrophobic in an eating window. And a restricted eating window. It, it, it was what I needed, though. I needed that. Now your window is closed. I guess also when you're having a later eating window like I do, it naturally closes itself because of sleep. You know, when you're <laughs> eating up until bedtime, you can only eat so long. That's true, because then you go to bed. If I had to do, for whatever reason, an earlier eating window, I, I would probably count the eating hours. And you would need to close it at a certain time. Mm-hmm. That'd be upsetting. <laughs> the good news is you don't have to. I know. Thank goodness. Yay. All right. So we have another question, and this is from Teresa. And the subject is testing glucose in a long fast. Teresa says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your show. I'm a member of your Facebook groups, have read your books, and started IF in September of 2020 after finding your podcast. I've been clean fasting since then, eight months, mostly 16-8, but some 24, 22-2, etc. I've played around with my window, and I've also bought a lot of the biohacking gadgets, participated in the Zoe study, trying to figure out why I can't lose weight. I'm 39, work a desk job, and not very active, but I eat clean, mostly paleo slash Whole30 style. I don't drink much, occasionally a seltzer or glass of wine, but not even once a week. I've put on about 25 pounds in the last year, putting me 50 pounds overweight and have struggled with energy. I am completely exhausted by 4 to 5 p.m. each day which is why I'm not exercising. I have kids and it's all I can muster to get dinner going and help them with a bath bedtime. And then I feel like I literally can't move anymore. I was convinced it was my thyroid. I checked the box for every Hashimoto symptom, but I had a full panel and my numbers are okay. From listening to you, I knew to ask for TSH, reverse T3, T4, antibodies, etc. And they are all, quote, in normal range. I realized they might not be optimal levels, but it wasn't the smoking gun I was expecting. I take serapeptase in the morning fasted. I also take selenium, and I do think that it has helped with my energy level. I take magnesium breakthrough and magnesium calm at bedtime. I signed up for inside tracker, and my inner age is 45. They recommended I add AHA supplement, so I take the one from Thorne. After hearing Melanie and Marty talk recently, I looked into data-driven fasting and did a test. I stopped eating at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, and on Thursday, fasted clean, just black coffee, unsweetened iced tea, and some Element Raw, and tested my blood glucose and ketones with my Keto Mojo. At 10 a.m., my blood glucose was 111, and ketones 0.2, lumen was 1, 
at 3 o'clock, my blood glucose was 80, ketones 0.4, lumen was 2. At 6.30 p.m., 24 hours into the fast, my blood glucose was 91 and ketones 0.5, forgot to use the lumen. This morning, I checked at 8.30 a.m., and my lumen said 2, my blood glucose was 105, and my ketones are 0.4. Shouldn't I have higher ketones and lower blood glucose at 38 hours of clean fasting? I'm perplexed. Can I interject really quickly? Yes. I probably should have said this before we read that part. So for listeners, the lumen is a device that measures if you're burning carbs or fat primarily. So when she's registering a one or a two, that is a fat burning mode. And as you go up, three is carbs and fat and four and five are carbs. And it's not measuring ketones or blood sugar. It's actually measuring levels of carbon dioxide in your breath, which it can show the source substrate of what you're burning. So if you want to learn more about it, I actually have a Facebook group. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. And then you can also get a discount for Lumen if you like at melanieavalon.com slash Lumen. The code changes around, but I think right now it's Melanie Avalon like 30 for $30 off, but we'll put a link in the show notes. So just to clarify for listeners what's going on there. All right. So she goes on to say, I'm perplexed. I feel like I'm doing all the things, but the weight won't budge. I've actually gained five to 10 pounds since starting IF. I have berberine on the way after listening to Melanie's most recent podcast with Sean Wells. I'm a little hesitant to try longer fasting, but that really is what I haven't tried yet. This is my longest fast, but I'm apprehensive after hearing from Dave Asprey and others that women with hormonal issues shouldn't do extended fasts. I think my sleep is okay for the most part, but I have an aura ring being delivered today. Blackout curtains changed my life. My stress level isn't anything crazy. I do wear my Apollo Neuro. I'm serious. I bought all the things and do breathing exercises. Before COVID, I was a yoga guide twice a week, so I'm sure my stress is higher than it was a year ago, but I'm pretty level most of the time. Should I try alternate day fasting? Do you think the longer fasts are what I need to start seeing weight loss? I don't usually struggle with hunger until about 20 hours into a fast, but now that I'm at 38 hours and not hungry, if it's a mind game, I'm for it. Are there any other labs I should ask for? I know something hormonal is off. I started taking birth control pills, low hormone, to help with period-related migraines. I get two to three-day migraines right before my period, and they are unbearable. I was also having terrible cystic acne despite a very clean skincare and makeup routine. I've been on clean beauty since 2014. The birth control pills immediately cleared up my skin and my migraines are still coming, but seem to last a day instead of two to three. Sorry to write you a book, but I don't want to be the listener that you can't help because I didn't give you enough info. What would you do if you were me? Thank you for all you do. All right. Thank you, Teresa, for your question. So I know this was a very long question and very specific to Teresa, but I think she touched on so many things that can probably help so many people. So I would love to address it. So for starters, the fatigue. Fatigue often indicates that you know your cells are not receiving the energy that they need. So it could be that you, you know, during the fast are not tapping into a fat adapted state or a ketogenic state and that your cells are literally struggling to get the energy that they need. So I know you checked your, your thyroid and it, and you checked for all the things. I would do a full iron panel. And when I say full, we want to make sure it has 
hemoglobin, iron, iron binding capacity, iron saturation, and ferritin, which a lot of the panels don't include ferritin. So you have to ask for it specifically. Even, fun fact, even if you get the iron panel, like on the conventional list, I think with like LabCorp or something, it doesn't even include ferritin. Like you have to add it on, which is just shocking to me. So a lot of women struggle with iron issues and personally having had iron issues, the fatigue you can get from it. I'm not saying this is what you have, but it might be. And for any other women or men listening, it could also be a thing. The fatigue from it is very intense. So I would check that out. As far as the weight loss and all of the things. So I get a sense that for the weight loss, you're searching for a solution in like a supplement or a lifestyle practice. Like I get the sense that you're searching for the answer in like one thing outside of yourself. When I would step back, this is for the weight loss. And it's not going to sound like a broken record, but I would look first and foremost at the food choices. So I know you said that you are doing a paleo whole 30 approach, but what are you eating in that paleo whole 30 approach? So out of all that, we don't actually even know like the macros that you're doing. So are you doing low carb or are you doing a higher carb approach? Again, I don't know the answers, so I can't give an answer, but all of these situations may or may not be working. So you could be doing low carb and it could be that your body actually doesn't do well with low carb and actually you need more carbs. And so you might benefit from a fatigue level and an energy level and even a weight loss level with more carbs, less fat, and just continuing the fasting. Or it might be the reverse. Maybe you have carbs and you actually, like your body would do well with lower carbs. And so you might want to try a lower carb approach. I think a lot of people think that if they're doing fasting and Whole30 or paleo, that, you know, that, that checks all the boxes and so that they'll automatically lose weight. But you can still, especially if you're eating things like nuts, for example, there are a lot of foods that you can eat that actually are going to be weight promoting. So fasting is not an automatic instant weight loss solution. It works really well for a lot of people, but it doesn't get rid of the potential for weight gain or weight maintenance or weight stagnation from food choices. Same with the food choices. So eating a paleo diet or a Whole30 diet doesn't automatically mandate or necessitate weight loss. What you're saying is, just to to summarize it for people, you can still overeat in an eating window, even if you're eating clean, paleo, Whole30. And then you won't lose weight. You might gain weight. That was what Melanie is saying. Perfect. Thank you. If you're overeating for your body, you're not going to lose weight. You'll gain weight. Yeah. And I feel like a broken record, but that's why I so often suggest people trying either low carb and really low carb or low fat and you know actually low fat because the tweaks you can make with the macronutrients, they, they set up your body because of the nature of the macronutrients to make it much more difficult to gain weight and much more likely to lose weight. She's gaining weight and I get the sense that she's attributing the weight gain to the fasting, but she also mentioned a lot of other factors that happened sort of recently. They didn't all have specific dates, so it's hard to know how things lined up. How long has she been fasting? Eight months. 
So one of them was she went from doing yoga, like teaching yoga to not. And she says she's sedentary and doing a desk job. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. And can I throw something else out there that's a huge red flag? She gained 25 pounds in a year. And that's an indication that something's going on. So she's only been doing intermittent fasting for eight months, but before starting intermittent fasting, she was gaining weight rapidly. So there's some underlying something. And 
I don't know what what that is. We we can't know, but something caused that to start happening in her body. I wonder if she's going through menopause. She's thirty nine. Oh, she did say thirty nine. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I doubt I doubt that that's that's perimenopause. Another huge change is the birth control. So that could have a major effect. The power of hormones is just so huge, and birth control is messing with the hormones. So I even look back. In high school, for the same, oh, wait, she's going on it for the migraines, and then she said it cleared up her skin. I shudder so much about this. I went on birth control when I was 16 for acne. Just looking back, so I was never crazy overweight, but I gained a significant amount of weight really fast. And I'm assuming it was most likely from the birth control. You know, I had that happen. I, I got an IUD that had hormones that it released this was after I had both of my kids, and I didn't want to have any more kids. So it, it was a hormonal IUD, and I started gaining weight rapidly when I had been pretty weight stable. So that was interesting. You know, the inside tracker part is interesting because her inner age is six years older than her real age. Did that? How do they base that? Is it like based on inflammation? Just a wide variety. So there's something up in her body. What they look at to determine your quote inner age is. So they test a lot, but the actual inner age thing looks at LDL, glucose, GGT. GGT is actually a, this is fascinating. There's people usually just, just test AST or ALT liver enzymes, but GGT is another liver enzyme and it's actually specific to the liver. So AST and ALT can be increased from exercise, but GGT is really just the liver. So it can indicate if you have elevated liver enzymes, if it's the liver or if it might be something else like actually fasting or exercise. Sorry. So they also test DHEA, lymphocytes, triglycerides. How do you say the word? I've never said it out loud. Eosinophils. Oh, I don't know. I've never said that out loud. I see it all the time on blood tests. I do not see that all the time. Isn't that funny? RDW, monocytes, basophils, total iron binding capacity, albumin, HbA1c, and BMI. That's what they test. And yeah, I would be curious from her inside tracker specifically, like what what were the ones that were, were raising her, her inner age? That would actually paint a better picture as well of what might be going on. There's something going on in her body that started when she was rapidly gaining weight before she started intermittent fasting. And so it sounds like, you know, maybe the intermittent fasting has slowed the rapid weight gain, but it hasn't mitigated it. Like she's still, now she's slowly gaining weight instead of rapidly gaining weight. So it's still, you got to figure out the cause. And that's so much easier said than done. You know, I love what Dr. Jason Fung said that always comes back to me. Obesity is a multifactorial problem. And you you got to find the root cause for you and and address that. If it's not something fasting, you know, fasting might be one piece of your puzzle, but it may not be the only piece of your puzzle. And so that does that mean fasting doesn't work? No, but it may not be addressing the thing that is like if, if your problem with energy is iron levels, fasting isn't going to fix that. Her main question was testing glucose in a long fast. What would you say to, to that part, Melanie? We haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, I had a, I was just going to say we hadn't answered that yet. So I think people get really confused by this. Basically, if the body is not relying solely for whatever reason on fatty acids, 
the body can increase blood pressure or blood, sorry, body can increase blood glucose if it thinks it needs more sugar. So even if you are fasted a long time, even if your glycogen is depleted, well, if the glycogen is not depleted, it can pull blood sugar from your glycogen in a fasted state. If it is depleted, it can make blood sugar. So the, the liver can make blood sugar through a process called gluconeogenesis. And in the Lumen group that I mentioned earlier, my Facebook group, it has, we have, I don't know, we have how many members, maybe close to 1.5 thousand members and people share their experience with Lumen a lot. And a lot of people see this, like they'll be in a fat burning mode, like a one or a two, and then they fast longer and it goes up to like a three. Like your body has introduced some blood glucose from somewhere or some glucose. Yeah. So, so many people experience this. And what I think what's going on is that the longer into the fast, instead of the body being like, yeah, we're fasting, we're burning fats, it actually is sensing it as a stress. And so it's upregulating blood sugar. So I wouldn't be surprised that that's happening. That said, she still stayed in a fat burning mode. She was asking, shouldn't I have higher ketones? Oh, and lower blood, yeah, and lower blood sugar. I would not be surprised. For her at this point in time, a longer fast, her body is not responding with more ketones. It's responding with more blood sugar. It has that choice. So like we have very little, like consciously, (laughs) very little control over this. So some people are going longer into the fast and for all of the reasons their body is like, yay, we're going to rely on ketones more. So it makes more ketones and blood sugar lowers. Some people's bodies say, no, we're not going to rely on ketones more and it makes more blood sugar. And then the ketones don't go up. So Peter Atias talked about when he went on a keto diet for like a really long time and he's a doctor and testing all the things. I mean, he was saying it, it was shocking how long it took his body to fully keto adapt like a really, really long time. And that's what doing like a really, really stringent ketogenic diet and fasting. And I think a lot of people experience this because I think some people just never quite, like their body never quite gets to that point where they could do, you know, a 38 hour fast and not have this response. And I always wonder if like everybody, if they just did it long enough and by long enough, I don't mean fasting longer. I mean like staying on a ketogenic diet, staying on the fasting long enough, would everybody's body eventually adapt to where, you know, they could go 38 hours and not have this response or to some people, you know, will, will this always be the case? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But, you know, we're all different when it comes to what our bodies do. You know, I think of that normal distribution, the normal curve of everything from, you know, cat tail length to the height of a pine tree, right? You know, there's they follow that normal distribution and there are people on either extreme of every, every factor. And that's going to be even, you know, how quickly your blood glucose goes down or how, well, your body gets into ketosis. You you might be an outlier on one end or the other. We're all just so different. Back to what I said about those apps before that treat us like we're all just carbon copies and everybody's going to be doing, bam, the same thing at the same time. That's why they make me so mad. Yeah. Also to answer her question, so she's doing you know a 38-hour fast and she said that this is the longest one she's done and she wants to know, should she do longer? Should she try alternate day fasting? I didn't plan this, but this was perfect. She asked the same question. Do you think the longer fasts are what I need to start seeing weight loss? Honestly, it goes back to the same answer I gave with Emma's question, which I would not necessarily turn to the longer fasting as the first thing to lose more weight or at all. (laughs) I will say that, you know, and 
an alternate day fasting approach or a hybrid approach, you know, if you feel good doing it, that could be a great, a great strategy. Maybe, you know, two down days a week followed by up days and then the other days having eating one day, that might be a sweet spot for your body. So you can certainly experiment with that. You know, go back to fast, feast, repeat and look at the, the intermittent fasting toolbox chapter and think about how you can, you know, try to experiment. But the thing that, that worries me going back to the very, very beginning of Teresa's question is that she doesn't have good energy even now, eight months in. I just keep honing in on that as, you know, something, something's up. So, even with the longer fast, I wonder, did, did her energy, did, you know, at 38 hours, did she feel more energy? That would be interesting. If the answer is yes, when you got to 38 hours, you did have more energy, then I would say, you know, maybe you do need to throw in a couple down days a week. But if you still never got there, even with 38 hours, make me think, no, that would not be the answer. I didn't pick up on this earlier. There's a lot here. <laughs> I know that she's 50 pounds overweight. I'm assuming that that's by like the conventional BMI standards. I would really look at what you're actually eating and not physical activity to lose weight, but just because there's a lot to moving around compared to like a desk job sedentary, especially if she was doing like, you know, yoga before. So that's a big change. So there's so much, the hormones, the exercise, the food. Definitely check the iron panel. And I'm really, really curious if you check the iron panel, if you find something, let us know. I'd be really, really curious about that. Yeah, me too. I will just say that being anemic can feel like death. Like it can just feel like fatigue and you just can't move, which that's what she said. That is what it sounds like to me. I was going to say iron too, but you said it first. She says, I feel like I literally can't move anymore. I would really check the iron. Having been there, that is exactly what it feels like. So, all right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 223. Those show notes will have a full transcript and they'll have links to everything that we talked about. I'll also put links to all the stuff that Teresa talked about, the Lumen, the Aura, the Apollo Neuro, all of the things, Magnesium Breakthrough, she really did touch on... (laughs) A lot of things. And yes, you can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.